Well, we welcome everybody to this week's special edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, we talked about this kind of privately a few weeks ago and decided this is a pretty good week to, to do it. And we're going to focus most of the podcast, if not all of it this week, on youth sports, the changing, ever-changing landscape, and, and talk pretty much about youth anywhere from peewee on through high school sports on this week's podcast after uh, you had a pretty good vacation last week, I understand. Yeah, I went down to San Antonio, and uh, boy, I don't like the driving in Texas like that. I mean, from Gainesville all the way to San Antonio, it was like driving through one big metropolitan area. I'm not kidding you, Scott. We drove down on Monday, and it's pushing 10 o'clock in, in Austin or maybe even a little bit further south of Austin. And the, and the interstate's still full. I'm like, what's going on here? It's 10 o'clock on a Monday. Why is the interstate so full? And people told me, that's just Texas. Okay, so don't don't live down here is what you're saying. Because I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle that kind of traffic all the time. But, no, we had a good time. We went to the Alamo, went down to the Riverwalk, and, you know, went to a, a minor league baseball game. They got rained out after four innings, went to a minor league soccer game. And, yeah, you had a pretty good time. And we, we sure enjoyed Colorado. It was much different driving. It was, you know, 30 mile an hour going up and down the mountain where we were most of the time. But uh, I'm glad, glad it was good and I'm ready to talk some uh, youth sports. And we can, we can go a lot of different directions. We kind of decided let's, uh, let's kind of look at it. And, of course, we're going to go back a few years and date ourselves here. We're going to go back and look at what youth sports were like uh, when you and I were growing up and actively um, participating as compared, and there's going to be a vast difference as we'll see to what it is now. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I mean, we're going to come off like a couple of uh, cranky old men here and get off our lawn kind of guys here. And, you know, we're not out to, uh, we're not out to really bash youth sports as they are today because it is what it is. And it's great that kids are out there playing and that. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it's much different and not necessarily for the better now than it was, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And the, the, we're going to, we'll hit on a lot of negatives as kind of you alluded to, but there, there's, there's some positives. We're going to point those out too. So we're going to kind of go sport by sport and nobody get offended. Obviously we can't cover, you know, all the sports, especially ones that you and I really never participated in, you know, tennis and hockey and some of those, but we'll cover um, several different sports and let's let's start with uh, uh, youth basketball because uh, that's one of the that's one of the big ones um, these days and you know I, I was growing up in the let's say started these youth leagues and stuff late 70s early 80s um, and at that time there was um, all I remember doing as, as as a kid maybe you know grade school age there would be kind of some small summer leagues. I remember having them at the junior high there where I grew up in Lyons and we were coached by current high school players at that time. And you would come for, you know, maybe about a month's worth, five, six weeks at most of Saturday mornings. And you'd have your, have your little games and they'd get you, you know, refreshments afterward. Um, you got a little bit older, say, into the junior high, especially high school era. There were mostly – there weren't the big um, tournaments there are now. There were basically summer leagues that I played in. I remember playing over at Barton County one summer and another summer over at uh, McPherson College. And those uh, leagues that we would play in would last, again, anywhere probably from about maybe six to eight weeks 
throughout the summer and you would typically one, maybe two nights at most a week, um, go and play the games in the, in those type of leagues. And, and that's, is that kind of the experience you're remembering growing up as far as basketball was concerned? Well, for basketball, for me and really uh, sports in general, Scott is they were very season specific, you know, for me, soccer was fall and winter. Baseball was summer. Basketball was winter. There was very little little overlap, maybe a couple weeks or something like that where you have some overlap. But uh, overall, that's just kind of what I remember. And for basketball, you know, we would start around, oh, you know, the start of December. And I grew up in the city and played in the Catholic school leagues. And what, what we did was you would have two games. You know, you're, you're, you're assigned to your division, and then you would have two games. And this, these games were more they, – they counted. They kept scoring. They counted toward the standings and all that. But more or less what these games did was they served to make sure you were in the proper division. And then after the first two weeks, if they needed to do any shuffling, they would. Uh, our team never got shuffled around. Kind of uh, annoyed me because we lost 16 games in a row at one point. I was like, I think we're in too high of a division, I think, right now. Or it may have been more than that, but – uh, but yeah, and then you know we'd have the holiday break, and then we'd pick it up after the holidays, and we'd usually go into late February, early March. You know, we have a regular season, then we'd have, then we'd have our postseason tournament, and that was about it. Yeah, I think you know we were pretty much the same way. I mean, we had our our league. We played in a couple of different leagues when I was in high school. We played in the Mid Kansas League and the Central Kansas League, and we would start as as you talked about practicing. Um, right before Thanksgiving in that area games would start first week of December and, and state pretty much as it is now would be around that first week of March. But the, the, the leagues and stuff I was talking about, if, if it wasn't in season, that was all summer. Um, and let's compare that to now. Um, of course, locally here, and this has grown for around the country, MAYB. I mean, it didn't really, it did not exist when, you know, when we were in high school and a friend of ours, the head coach, Greg Raleigh over at Heston High School, um, this is his little brainchild. And this thing has exploded to a year round competition. And we mean year round. It's literal January through December. There are MAYB tournaments all over the state of Kansas and all over at least the central part of the country. It's, it, it's amazing um, how this started out as a little bit of a local type league and how it is ballooned into really a, a premier basketball tournament league. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, my daughter Josie played MAYB for a few years. And the, the thing that always kind of fascinated me about MAYB was that there's always the big tournaments. Of course, you, you know, everyone played in the one in Wichita, usually the season opener to start out the summer, or they'd have a winter kickoff also. And, you know, th- those were kind of the ones that everyone played in. But the thing that always kind of fascinated me is just the number of tournaments that were around. You know, if there wasn't one in, in Hutchinson, which is where I live, okay, maybe there's one in Kingman. Maybe there's one in Newton. Maybe there's one in McPherson. And you just didn't have to travel very far to find competition. And some of the tournaments were, you know, better size. Maybe you'd have eight teams one week, and the next week you might just have four teams. And maybe the week after that you have 12 teams. So we didn't really have to travel very much, which was great. Don't get me wrong. It's just – and I, I, I don't know. I just found it just really fascinating, just the, the sheer volume of events that you could select to play in. And, again, that's not a bad thing. I think uh, that, that can really help to cut down on travel costs. 
Yeah, and that's one of the travel costs. It, it just depends on, you know, how, how elite you play. Uh, information I could find on MAYB, um, leagues, uh, if you're playing fall through the spring, um, and these are mostly all, of course, with school on weekends, um, about $175 for a, um, a three-game guaranteed tournament or 200 for a four-game guarantee tournament in that's in per participant and if you move into the summer brad where these mayb really flourishes it can be 315 dollars per game or 990 dollars for a four tournament um, guarantee where your team will play in four consecutive tournaments but again that is per participant in tournament so you can see that uh, in the summer, uh, that, that cost really c- can get up there when you're talking about that as per individual. Well, and, and not only that, but, you know, you, you get to these tournaments and then you got to pay the, the gate fee. And mm-hmm. for, you know, a family of four, so or, you know, if, if, you, if you just take into account that my oldest daughter, Laurel, was usually old enough by the time Josie played where she could stay home alone. But Landon would usually come with us. So you got me, my wife and Landon that has to pay the gate fee and. Yeah. Okay. So maybe you're paying the seven dollars a day or, or five dollars for landing. Okay. So that's what nineteen bucks right there. Or if you're buying the weekend pass, okay, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty five, thirty bucks. You know, per weekend. So it, and it all at and if you're lucky, you might be able to leave the gym and go find lunch, and you're you're there pretty much all day and all weekend. And you haven't even talked about lodging for you know hotel yep. room or um, wherever you're at and. Um, you know, you and I just recently been on vacation. We've seen what lodging has done um, as far as that cost has really soared um, after um, the pandemic last summer and places trying to, to, to make up a little bit of that gap uh, that can get for a weekend. You can tie into, holy cow, you can tie easily into four figures for one tournament. Don't even get me started on lodging. Wait until we get to our soccer discussion, and I, I'll tell you some. I'll tell you some horror stories about lodging. <laughs> so that's that's kind of MAYB, um, and we're, we're, we'll cover the sports, and then we'll, we'll kind of get into some of the particulars of some of the negatives and some of the positives um, of these sports. Let's let's move into uh, another one that's um, grown exponentially is the travel baseball and softball, and again. Uh, when I was growing up, you started playing, we had, you know, Pee Wee, um, which I think started somewhere around, if I remember right, age five, six years old, um, you graduated into, uh, little league and little league is the first, um, level that I played at that I actually remember something other than just a league competition that at the end of the year, sometimes there would be an all-star team that would go play maybe one, or two tournaments. And we were talking about nothing like they do now. We were talking about maybe travel to Hutchison for one tournament. Um, and I remember going to Holyrood in the day um, for a pretty good tournament there. And then um, you move up to where junior high, and there's literally no junior high programs that I know of, um, even still now around in the state of Kansas. So it was either um, you played the Babe Ruth and the Legion during the summer, or you played high school baseball. We didn't have high school baseball, so I only played a couple of years of Babe Ruth and quit playing to concentrate on um, playing golf because we did have um, golf at high school. So that was kind of my 
limited experience with uh, baseball back in the day. And again, we're talking late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. And I started playing, uh, you know, regular baseball and uh, let's see if I'm, if I remember correctly, third grade. So that would put me at what eight, eight or nine years old. And that's the first time, like I said, we started playing kid pitch, uh, before that in, in Johnson County, we actually, uh, boys actually played fast pitch softball. If you can believe that. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't the traditional windmill. Uh, it was just it, it was kid pitch. We, we would just pitch slingshot style. And then we and then you would move on to to baseball and that and kid pitch starting in third grade. And it was, you know, very similar to my uh, Catholic basketball experience. I did play. It, it was it was clubs. You know, you're sponsored by the local businesses. I played for Johnny's Barbecue. Mm-hmm. And uh, not not Chico's bail bonds like we saw in uh, <laughs> the the bad news bears or anything like that, but uh, we'd play about anywhere from about a if I remember correctly like a sixteen to twenty game schedule. You would play once or twice a week. We, you would start in late April and you go through mid July, and then you had, and then again you'd have a postseason tournament. But the, what I liked about this postseason tournament is they would take all the divisions. You know, you were divided up into in divisions based on ability. And the postseason tournament actually would everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean all the divisions were represented. You had to qualify still, but you had, but every division had representation. So, like, the, the top team in, the, like, the bottom division would get a chance to play, you know, somebody from the top division. And it was just kind of a neat little deal. And, you know, I think the semifinals was the furthest we ever got. So... But uh, it, it, was, it was good. You know, we played at Johnson County 3-2, and two, which is just an enormous complex now, well over 20 fields, I think. I mean, it was nine back when I played. And like I said, now I think it's well over 20 at multiple different complexes. So uh, it, it was a good time, though. You know, every field was kind of uh, built to the, to the size of the kids that were playing. You know, 161 feet down the lines, I think, were the biggest, were the house, the smallest fields were. All the way up to the high school fields that were normal, you know, three thirty down the lines, four hundred to center, et cetera. But uh, I mean, there wasn't any like real travel ball. To I mean, there, it, it existed, just not the way it existed now. Everyone just kind of played for their team over at three and two. Yeah, we again, it was it was all summer. My experience never playing on at the high school level. Um, we would um, play our league, which included again teams from around the area, the Bushton, Holyrood couple in Lions, there would be Nickerson, there would be a couple of Hutchison teams. Um, we would play, in all, we would assemble an all-star team, play again a couple of tournaments maybe in Newton or in Hutchison. And, but that was about it, which now the travel baseball and softball, now these are still, um, the travel teams are still primarily in the summer, but if you looked harder, other than winter, there are travel baseball and softball teams basically spring to the end of fall at, um, at the what we'll call more the elite level for some of those that are probably playing that instead of playing um, on their high school teams. And anywhere from, as I looked into some of the numbers, it can start out maybe as low as $500 um, to play on these travel baseball and softball teams. Um, but it can get as high as $5,000. And again, this is per kid, basically per, um, per summer or per season for these travel teams. And again, um, I think one of the good things with this is we mentioned most places don't have any kind of a junior high 
program. So once you're out of the little league areas, um, that kind of fills in that gap before these kids get to high school. But, but again, um, it's, it's, a, it's a big commitment and can run as high as $5,000 if you're participating in this, you know, basically spring through fall. The thing that I kind of learned with my son playing travel ball is that, once again, kind of like basketball, abundance of tournaments, which can be good because you can often not have to travel very far. But on the other hand, uh, once again, the, 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 the fees for tournaments aren't exorbitant, but then you got to pay the walk-in fee, the gate fee every, every weekend. It just gets to be a pain in the butt to have to do that. But you know as well as I do, Scott, that one of the biggest fees when it comes to baseball isn't the fields for the for the teams, but it's the equipment. Yeah, I mean, if in in these days, you know, kids like my son, they, he he wants two fielding gloves. I'm like, well, what do you need two gloves for? I, I had a glove when I was in fifth grade, and I used that all the way through my slow pitch softball days as an adult. I, what the hell do you need two gloves for, son? I mean, you go, everybody has them. I was like, why? <laughs> isn't one glove enough? And he he was adamant, no. So, okay, so you got two gloves, and then you got batting gloves, although my son admittedly does not like batting gloves, so that's uh, good. But even a top-of-the-line bat, Scott, that's that's going to cost you close to $500. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, you don't want to go cheap on a bat. That's not to say you can't buy something in the middle of the range, but you're not going to spend $75 for a bat. I and mean, that's just not – it's it, unless it's a practice bat or something. Uh, you know, a bat is one of those things which you, you're probably going to have to splurge a little bit on. And when I say a little bit, you might be going well north of $300. Imagine if your your son or daughter was a catcher. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll talk more about that also when we get into soccer because my son specialized goalkeeper. And but yeah, uh, and, and and on top of that, you know, it's, you know, yeah, yeah, pitching lessons, you know, in the off season. And you talked about uh, how uh, kids now not necessarily play year round, but there are actually facilities in Kansas City that have indoor baseball facilities where you can play a regular game year-round. And, boy, I, you know, the, the cutthroat nature of some of these really elite exclusive teams. I'm not going to mention this one team by name, Scott, but I do know that there was a team that my son played against who, you know, okay, actively recruiting good players. I get it happens. But from what I heard, they, they found this one kid and uh, the coach like took him on a him and his family on a cruise in the Gulf of Mexico. Asked the kid what it's going to take and all that. And I guess they bought him like a freaking shotgun so he can go hunting. Okay. I mean, I mean, is is is, is this really what it's come to with you sports? Where <laughs> we have to like take kids and their families on on a cruise and and buy them a shotgun because they like to hunt. It, it, I mean, that to me, it, it's just so foreign. To think of the uh, youth baseball or youth sports in that way, where we have to do that stuff to, for kids to join our team. I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it's recruitment. I mean, we, we'll call it what it is. It's you're recruiting um, players to your team and incentivizing them monetarily. Basically, they're not actually giving them money, but like you said, a, a shotgun or something like that, and um, you know, and then like you said, specializing and some parents will go as far as to get you a, a, a private coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a pitcher or, or even a catcher or um, private coach for basketball players as well to work with you one-on-one on your shot, on your, your dribbling skills, whatever it may be. So, you know, you take that 5,000 and start adding to that. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, it is insane. And they're just, 
you know, we, we were, it was, so that was, that'd be as foreign as it could get to when I was playing at this level yep. to have, have that kind of attention um, and that kind of money spent on, on just one kid. Well, and let's face it. I, I mentioned bats. The thing about buying a, your kid a bat is that chances are he's not going to use it or she's not going to use it because they throw their bats together and someone and, and you're going to find someone else's bat. Hey, I, I like this bat a little bit better. I'm going to use this one. Now, someone else is going to use the bat that you've bought, but the chance of your kid actually using that bat is pretty slim because they just like using each other's bats. Well, and even when I started in the Pee Wee Little Leagues, we were still using wooden bats. Yep, yep. The aluminum was just starting to come around um, late Little League, early Babe Ruth when I find, when I switched to an aluminum bat at that point. Um, so uh, think of there the cost. You know, you break your bat. You know, you don't see that near as much with the lower velocities and all of that. But then um, there's another expense, you know, if back in those days when a wooden bat would last you. But, yeah, it's 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 insane. It, it, it really can get <laughs> Um, insane that's again your travel uh, baseball and softball and we're going to jump into kind of your forte here I'll say my piece and probably let you have it but uh, <laughs> Brad this blew my mind and again I am just got into soccer a little bit more this year with doing some of the KCAC tournament and everything but when I researched this I I'm glad I was sitting down when I started looking at um club soccer again the only soccer i played i think maybe was one summer of little kids soccer you know when everybody runs around in a ball and somebody kicks it once in a while you know and and you may score one goal the entire morning that was the my extent of playing soccer but you know you're extensive you grew up playing it your daughter is going on and playing college soccer next season so you follow this all the time um but the club soccer now is getting to the point where kids are even choosing to not play high school and play on these club teams, which go year round. And the starting, the low price I found in looking up club soccer was just under $1,500 to over 10000 And then when they started lumping in, and I'll, I'll let you do your little sol- soliloquy, Hotel, gas, <laughs> private training. They said some of these elite kids are spending in excess of $20,000 a year on just playing one season of club soccer. And, and I was, I would not, never have figured of all these youth sports that club soccer would by far exceed any of the other sports. Well, because all you need is a ball to play soccer, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's one of the few sports you don't need specialized equipment. You know, when I grew up playing soccer, Scott, I grew up in Johnson County. And um, what it was, I mean, there's a lot of kids who played soccer when I was uh, younger. But the Premier Leagues, there was just kind of like one division. As I got older, there's maybe two. And everybody else played recreational. And you'd have somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, eight to 10 to 12 recreational divisions. Now it's the exact opposite. Now you got eight to 10 to 12 divisions of Premier League and maybe one or two divisions of, of rec ball. So it's just how it's just how it's all changed. And the, the cost, you know, look, I there's no other way to say it. it, it it's exorbitant. You know, my son uh, still plays for the Rush in Wichita and it, it costs. I, I don't have the exact number here in front of me, but something about twelve hundred dollars in fees. And keep in mind, he's in high school, so he doesn't get to play year round. So we're essentially paying for. 
let's see, that would be like mid-November until late in May is when his uh, club season would run to. And it, it, it is exorbitant. And, and on top of that, you know, we have to commute from Hutchinson to Wichita because we don't have well, – there is a local club, uh, Club Missouri, and the fees are much lower here, but the, the opportunities just aren't uh, as, as prevalent in a city like Hutchinson or Newton or, or something like that as, comp- as compared to Wichita. And he's a goalkeeper, and I, I just bought him a couple sets of gloves. You know, I can't remember when I exactly bought him. I think it was before the club season started. I bought him two two pairs, a pair for practice only, and a pair of game gloves. Well, he's already he's already he's ready to get rid of them because they're so worn out already. I got to buy. He said he could still use his his game gloves for practice, but he said they're kind of worn down. So now I got to buy him a new pair of game gloves. And you know, like with um baseball bats you know goalkeeper gloves you you gotta gotta splurge a little bit on them unfortunately and you know you're probably looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 100 bucks for a good pair of goalkeeper gloves and top of the line goalie gloves 300 (laughs) dollars so and uh it's it's just and and, uh, so what i'm trying to say here scott is i'm part of the problem my family is part of the problem when it comes (laughs) to youth youth sports here but (laughs) You know, we t- we talked about the travel and the expenses. I want to tell you a quick story about how ridiculously insane some of these tournaments can be. My daughter Josie, who you mentioned, is going to go play in uh, at Butler Community College. She played with a rush from U uh, ten through her the end of her days U uh, nineteen, and there was at least two, maybe three uh, Augusts where they went and played in Denver. At, at a tournament in Denver. And the first year we went there, you stay in what's called these quote unquote pay to play hotels where essentially they're like the official hotel or something like that of the tournaments, or there's like a handful of hotels and you have to have a, your whole team doesn't have to stay there, but you have to have, you have to meet a certain criteria. Like you, you have to have like six rooms. You, you have to have a minimum of six rooms or eight rooms or 10 rooms or something like that. Okay. And, and if you don't meet that criteria, you get a fine. So there's a lot of pressure on these teams. Okay. We have to have people stay in this hotel. So anyway, this one hotel we stayed at, and I can't remember what it was for the life of me. It was like a comfort inn or something like that. And I go, I get the link. I go to the pay to play website and they talk about the special tournament rate and I click on it and it said $135 a night. I'm like, God dang, man, that's that's kind of that that that's insane, isn't it? So I go the backwards way and, and I go to my 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 choice hotels app and I go to the exact same hotel for the exact same weekend, $105 per night for the same room. They hiked it up $30 just for this pay-to-play thing. Mm. <laughs> so I, I said, forget it. You know, I'm just going to get it this way. I'm going to stay at the same hotel. We're probably not going to get charged, or is, this probably isn't going to be an official account tour of the hotel. But you know what? I, why, why would I pay the extra $30 like that when I could just get the exact same room in the exact same hotel for $30 cheaper? And it's a Ponzi scheme, Scott. And, you know, <laughs> I, I just don't know what else to say about it. It's just it's just madness. Now, the good thing is, you know, we, we got really lucky through the years and that like our kids played a lot of events in Kansas City. My parents lived there, so if they had a weekend tournament, we didn't have to pay for the lodging expenses. We just stayed with my parents. So we're, we're kind of lucky in that regard. But, again, I'm, I'm part of the problem. I'm not, afraid, I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm, I'm part of the problem. Josie has played in Chicago. She has played in Nebraska. She has played in Texas. 
uh, Oklahoma, Colorado, Missouri. You know, she's played. Uh, she's played in so many different states, and I, I recall I didn't go with her to Texas one time. She went. With, she went with a teammate, but they played a, a team who was. And this is another longer rain for a longer day. They were playing the team that's ranked number one in the country for their age division. Now, how the hell you figure that out? I don't know. <laughs> but they have they have these damn rankings for everything. And some of the parents who went there, talking to some of the parents from this other team, they have to sign a contract, Scott, saying they will not play any other sports, that they will do nothing but soccer. And to me, you know, I don't even say that 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 angers me. That that actually makes me sad. Because I think part of growing up is is playing multiple sports. And I know that there's that FOMO, the fear of missing out. I get that. And it's legit. But I, I just can't imagine. I can't remember how old Josie was when she did that. 13 or 14. But a 13 or 14-year-old girl having to, you know, can't play basketball, can't play volleyball, can't play soccer, can't play golf, can't play tennis because she's playing soccer the whole time. It's it's just insane, and and as you alluded to, there are many soccer clubs, uh, especially at the highest levels, that will not allow their student or their their players to play high school soccer. And to me, that also is very sad because Josie almost she almost did that. She had an opportunity to play for one of those clubs in Oklahoma City. Yes, she was offered a chance to play for a team in Oklahoma City, and luckily she had a smart head on her shoulders where she thought. Why would I want to play for a team in Oklahoma City? Isn't that crazy? We're at the leave at noon on Friday to go catch a bus in Oklahoma City to go travel to Houston to play two games and get back. And yeah, yes, Josie, it is insane, but it's your decision. So, so she made the right decision. But yes, they, they, I, I'm so glad that she got the high school soccer experience. You know, did she win a one in state championship? Of course she did. But, and, and even though she didn't, I don't think she would her soccer, her high school soccer experience for anything. Uh, this this past year, this past in the spring, first round of regionals, they beat Dodge City three to two in overtime in the first round of regionals, and she has told me that that was her favorite uh, soccer experience, not her favorite high school soccer experience, but her most memorable soccer experience was that game. Yeah, I think again, I think that's that is the disturbing part for me of these clubs, like you said, not not just trying to persuade, but dictating to these kids, you're going to, you know, you're not going to play high school if you play for us. And I, boy, I, I really don't like that. And, and, and you talk about the equipment, Brad, you're talking to a guy that still has his mitt from Babe Ruth and uses it. <laughs> so, you know how I feel about uh, replacing barely used um, goalie gloves when you, when you cut off <laughs> the part. But yeah, the high school experience, I just, I, you know, I think we're as a society, and this is this is a bigger discussion for another day. But I think we're we're rushing in all areas of kids' lives to grow them up sooner than they need to, and I just think that's another example of it. Um, and we'll get into the specializing um, into one sport in a little bit, but that that is disturbing to me that um, those places dic- dictating to you or demanding that you don't do not just any other sport, but, but that sport at the high school level. Yeah. And I think we're going to start seeing more of that, unfortunately, instead of less, I think it's going to start seeping into other sports, particularly softball, maybe baseball, volleyball, and maybe even basketball. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. Um, 
It is. I think it's a, a trickle down effect and we will see it coming to um, other sports. The, really the only other sport I kind of researched for this um, and it's on a much lower level was football, which of course, at least at this point, f- football at the youth level, um, you don't have all of these club sports, you know, and for reason as big of a contact sport as football is most of um Football is, I guess, still fairly similar to when you and I were growing up. You know, you you start, we didn't have the youth leagues. Now, that's something that has changed. You know, the grade school age kids that are actually playing, you know, tackle football. You know, the only time we play tackle football, it was probably without pads um, (laughs) in the yard as, as as a kid before you got to junior high and high school. And then, you know, we all went to the football camps and you can go to varying different levels of camps. Um, and we usually did that. We usually had a local one that I went to um, probably all four years for high school. Um, but those range anymore, especially even these days, you can get to maybe a football camp still for a hundred bucks um, all the way up to if you are a more elite player and go to one of the elite level camps, maybe that they host at, you know, Kansas or Oklahoma or whatever you can, you can get into $2,000 going to one of those elite level camps. But Football, other than a lot of the youth leagues, I think is maybe somewhat still kind of as we remember as kids. Yeah, I, I would agree with that from the perspective as it's pretty much played in the fall. And yes, I know that they have spring football, especially down in Texas and all that. And you have the summer seven on sevens and all that. But in general, I think most kids, and this is going all the way up to high school, we'll, we'll pretty much just play football in the fall. And again, they might go to some camps, which, which are fine, or maybe do like some kind of seven-on-seven seven league or something, which is fine. But in general, yeah, football is one of the few sports, I think, that is still traditionally a seasonal sport for all intents and purposes. Yeah, and I, I think that's, <laughs> for sake of this question, I think that's a good thing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to see um, – I'm glad to see that stay um, somewhat unchanged. And I I think a lot of it, again, as I alluded to, um, is due to the the contact nature of it. It's not it's obviously not something you could play on a year round level and expect to have any kind of health left at all. So um, I don't know that we're going to see huge changes um, into um, into football. And you did mention um volleyball and i think that's something that has maybe as soon as the last 10 years club volleyball coming in i'm just looking up a little bit of that Um, just exploded yeah and they're talking about the high end level of the travel volleyball um can be up to eight to ten thousand dollars a year um and in club fees making up about half of that um, if you're in a regional type of a program, it's maybe 1500 um, to 2000 But the but the volleyball that that is something I think we're actually seeing here in the last five to ten years really evolve before our eyes. Yeah, I've seen it right here in Reno County, especially Hutchinson. Just the amount of club volleyball is just it's it is just skyrocketed in the last ten years and. Uh, and and and, that, and and in many ways, you know, I think that's good because we're getting more kids to play volleyball. And I, I just I, I fear with all these travel sports and, and, and club sports, you know, what, what's 
getting lost in all this are the are the kids who can't afford it. And volleyball is no exception to that. And I hope that the I guess what I'm trying to say is I hope that these rec leagues don't go away like we see with the Y and at the rec. And some of those kids who maybe not get the opportunity to otherwise play will have the opportunity to still play. But still, I think uh, the opportunity that these kids have to play uh, club volleyball, I think that's a good thing in general. I just hope we don't lose sight of the kids who maybe can't afford to play. Well, those are those are kind of the costs and kind of our experiences with it. And let's get into some of the positives and the negatives. If you you alluded to one that um, was highlighted in virtually every sport that I looked up is about you know the cost we've been talking. You know, even on low ends, we're still into the low thousands of dollars um, for a season, and that does affect. Uh, a, a lot of kids and unfortunately and and it's kind of the way a lot of areas are your low socioeconomic groups are made up of a lot of minority groups um, that f- cannot afford them these type of fees and are very very talented and unfortunately it's getting a lot of them left behind because like you said if you don't have the money you can't get into these um, elite leagues these elite teams on these travel teams and that is that's incredibly unfortunate and that that's something they need to take a hard look at well what sport is more universal than soccer you know when it comes to the world you know doesn't matter if you're you know the rich type from the united states or someone poor from you know central africa or something like that you you know you have the opportunity to play soccer and i fear that the united states is one of the few if if not the only country in the world where soccer is kind of turned into a country club sport you know where only the elite can really afford to play at the highest of levels because it's just the the costs are just so exorbitant and you know you got fundraising and all that and that, that goes into it that, that that can help maybe, but still, I mean, no fundraiser is going to be able to, you know, offset a, a trip to Florida one weekend and then a trip to San Diego the next or something like that. So, you know, I lived in Garden City for four years, Scott, and I, I saw a lot of the soccer that happened out there. And let me tell you, some of the best soccer in the state of Kansas has played out on the high plains. You know, Dodge City High School has won two state championships lately. So Liberals got a state championship. And some of the very best soccer is played out there, but a lot of those kids just are going to get overlooked just because of their location mainly and, and, the, and the economic backgrounds that a lot of them have. You know, they just they, they can't afford to travel to Wichita to play club. They can't afford to go to Kansas City. So it's, uh, it's, it's really unfortunate because, like I said, a, a lot of those uh, stones are, going, uh, are not being uh, uh, looked under. And and unfortunately, I mean, there, there are the rare instances. I think there was an article about um, Andrew McCutcheon, um, MLB all-star for the, for the pirates. Um, he was in a, a similar situation as a lot of minorities are growing up without a lot of, of, of money in the family. And he, um, a coach discovered him and actually became his private coach, paid a lot of these fees. But I mean, we're talking about the elite, elite, elite kids. And that just doesn't happen. Um, for, for most of these kids, and they, they just don't get the opportunities that they so richly deserve. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate that we, we price a lot of people out because the, 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 some of these kids, you know, it's, it's their only, and, and, and for many reasons, I think that's why football is still such a viable option for maybe those who don't come from money is that, you know, they can play for their high school still, not have to pay an exorbitant fee, and, and hey, all of a sudden, 
you know, they're showing some things out, maybe get an offer to play some college football and, you know, get a chance to get a degree. So I think that's still why football is so appealing to so many people is because you don't have to play your entire life growing up to, to join the high school team. And then, you know, not you, you don't have to pay the exorbitant fees to, to play high school football. That is another good part. And again, we talked about the camps being affordable, um, right. local camps for kids. So um, it's definitely one of the very big positives um, on the football side of things. Um, so it, we talk about the cost. What about the, uh, you know, it, it's obviously if, if you commit to one of these travel teams, elite teams, whatever you want to call them in any of these sports, the time commitment, not just for the kid, but for the family. I mean, you're playing, you're playing tournaments most weekends. And if, if you're into the the club soccer that can be played and is played year round or other than winter, the travel baseball, softball, MAYB is year round you talk about a time commitment away from home um, and away from a lot of your friends that that is definitely something you have got to consider before you um, determine you're going to do, you're going to do this. And that was a big thing for both of my kids. who played soccer in Wichita was, Hey, this isn't going to be easy. You know, I mean, we're, we got to travel two hours, two to three days a week. Even if I'm not driving, if we have someone else locally who can help drive, that's still on the road for two hours, then you're an hour and a half of practice and then maybe grabbing something to eat afterwards. You know, you're, you're, you're talking almost four hours of being away from home just for one practice. Now you multiply that by, you know, two, maybe three. And then you got the games on the weekends, sometimes in Kansas city, sometimes even further away. And yeah, that's your, your life pretty much revolves around it. And you even hear these new things called tourniquets where where parents and, and kids will they'll do their tournaments and then they'll stay and go on vacation or that is their vacation or something like that so yeah <laughs> i that makes my head hurt but that that's <laughs> that, that that's also reality that's how a lot of people choose to spend their vacations well half it will be you know due to the the youth baseball tournament that they're at yeah that that does turn into a a family vacation and with that type of almost year-round commitment the the one thing that just jumps out to me is the potential for burnout um, for the kid that by the time he gets to the late high school, almost college age, he doesn't want to play anymore. Um, He's, he's tired of it. And, you know, unfortunately there are some parents that push their kids too hard, push them into this, I think with good intentions, but it, it, and it turns out bad for the kid and, and they just, they burn out because that is their life and they don't get to be a kid in a lot of other areas. Yeah. You, you see it all the time, the burnouts. And that, that was such a big, big deal for, for my kids was I didn't want them to burn out. And luckily for Josie, you know, she was, she, she really kind of uh, grew to enjoying the, the time in the car and all that and figuring out, you know, th- that kind of stuff. Uh, Landon, Landon was a little bit different. He's not a big fan of the, of the commute. So, um, <laughs> which I can't blame him for. So, uh, we try telling him, we try warning him that this is going to be different and he, he, he didn't care, but he has since learned that it it's, it's, it's tough. And, and burnout is definitely something that I've always feared with my kids and playing sports is I, I didn't want them to suffer that burnout. And you, you really have to walk that line trying to figure out how much is too much and how much is not enough. And it, it it's not an easy line to toe. 
is and the, and the one thing, and I think we're seeing this a little bit more time progresses when you're you're doing that and you and you're you're training you're playing that sport year round is certainly the potential for injury um we're talking about kids uh, we're talking about kids from five to six seven years old up to 18 19 years old we're talking about bodies that are continually changing and are not mature yet that you're pushing you're training i'm not saying that tra- training at any age is, is necessarily bad, but if you, if you push it too far, I think we're really seeing some of kids' bodies breaking down long before they ever should, just because they have pushed too hard um, to be one of the elites at the sport that they're playing. I, I recall my son playing in a baseball tournament. It was a one-day tournament up in McPherson. Oh, gosh, it was maybe four years ago, I want to say. And we we played we played our pool play games in the morning back to back and then the championship game for us wasn't until like eight o'clock at night so we had like half the day to go uh, to go from McPherson back home before we went back up so we played a McPherson team in that first game and they had a pitcher who went up uh, against us and threw a complete game threw a lot of pitches I, I was a statistician I want to say this kid threw well over a hundred pitches. Okay, I mean, that's that's fine, whatever. That's the one game he's going to pitch, right? Well, we come back to the championship game, and this kid is pitching again in the third-place game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, just, I, I just don't get it. And you talk about burnout and, and overuse, and, and you see stuff like that happen, and it's just not right. And we, we see kids, you know, who are having shoulder trouble, elbow trouble, you know, before they're even old enough to drive. And that that to me, that's – that's not good, and it's not. And that's not to say that kids didn't get hurt when we were younger, Scott. But that was usually because you know they slid into the second base or they fell down, you know, out of bounds trying to chase a ball down or something like that. You know, the overuse injuries happened when we were younger, but they're happening more and more these days. Well, I think uh, one of the saddest commentaries I, I think I ever remember was when Jim Kobe was still with uh, Channel Twelve Sports and. The best high school or girl that I ever saw play any sport, Brad, was Jackie Styles. Um, no, no disrespect to Emily Ryan, none at all. But the, the the best that I have seen, I believe, was Jackie Styles. And I remember Jim Kobe was did an interview with her when she was in the WNBA and she was with her second or third team. And she limped in and out of the studio because she was injured once again. Um, And he remarked that he did not know if we would ever see um, Jackie Styles play again. And we didn't. Um, She Mm -hmm. had to retire because of those injuries. And it was well known that she when she was injured, she just uh, she pushed too hard to get back to the level she was used to. And, and, and a lot of that getting to that level was due to that work ethic, but also she worked that hard at such a young age, her body broke down. And that, that was one of the saddest ends to an interview I've ever seen. Cause it, it, it was the end of her playing career at that point. And she was still a, a young lady. She was still in her twenties mm-hmm. retire. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact age. It was, I think somewhere around, I want to say 27 years old, 28 years old. She she had to retire because she just her body couldn't do it anymore. And she knew that too. You know, she mm-hmm. she recognized that uh, you know, my body just can't do what it used to do. 
And that that's not an easy thing for even a high school athlete to admit if they're you know struggling and to realize, hey, I, I can't do this right now. And I and for all the great things that sports teach us, you know, the the one thing I wish that we could just scale back a little bit on is this overuse. And even more than that, you know, coaches just to recognize that winning a ten year old baseball game, a twelve year old <laughs> volleyball game, it's it's honestly it honestly is not worth it. And you know, I, I, I that's another thing is that I think that oftentimes the the desire to win just kind of fuels us sometimes and by and large not everybody gets developed so you might have a player who at the time is a maybe a slow develop or a slow developer you know physically they may not have the growth spurt yet compared to you know the 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 man child that's out there and they 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 just they don't get the chance to play just because they haven't physically had their growth spurt yet and we forget, okay, so this kid, you know, what, what are we doing to this kid here who hasn't had the growth spurt yet? Okay, he's going to be on the bench. Okay, well, so what are you going to do when he does have his growth spurt? He's going to be so far behind because he wasn't <laughs> playing at the time. So I don't know. Uh, and, and and that's not to say that, you know, youth sports are I, – I know that I've been kind of grumpy in this podcast, Scott. I, I love <laughs> youth sports. I mean, it's a big part of my life. It's been, a, it's been a big part of my life. I'll continue to be a part of it long after my kids – are out of the equation, whether that's, you know, refing or, or something like that. So, uh, but I, I, I it, there's always room for improvement. And I really, I really wish that we would take a harder look at some of these problems. Well, and, and one of the things, and I'm trying to remember now how many years it's been, it's been fairly recent where they instituted the ability for high school teams to have organized practices during the summer. Um, I, I think the cutoff date is somewhere in the middle of July, but I mean, uh, you're going, if you're a high school kid, I, I didn't like it when they did that because I thought back to when I was in high school and I was a three sport athlete, I played football, basketball, and then golf. So I was thinking I needed that summer to kind of yep. decompress, you yep. know, yeah, I did the camps, I did the leagues, I played the golf during the summer and that, but I was thinking if I had to get up every day of the week for the first six weeks of summer and go to football practice in the morning, go to uh, basketball practice in the evening. The next day I had to do golf practice um, in the evening or in the morning or whatever. I would have, I would have hated my (laughs) summers where I loved my summers growing up where I could just be a kid. Um, And I still don't like it (laughs) that they have these. And it's just it's just one more area. I think um, what I see it doing, um, and I think a lot of the these elite leagues and the travel leagues and stuff have already started doing. And I think these summer practices are going to do it as well. As kids are going to start choosing sports, um, they're going to decide. Okay, I'm just going to play soccer. Uh, I'm just going to play basketball, and I'm going to commit to these the travel leagues and and I know that one of the certainly the positives of that is if you're very good, you get the scholarship, you take a financial burden off your family because you go to school and that is paid for. That That's a certainly one of the positives of these club leagues and the travel leagues and everything. But I look at it as a lot of the schools we cover, Brad, at the high school level are small schools, the Little Rivers, the, the Canton Galvas, even the Lions and Sterlings that are smaller now. Kids starting to choose sports where I'm just going to play one sport 
the negative impact that has on those other sports that really need them to be out um, could just be devastating to, to to a little river if you had a just imagine if Jaden Garrison had decided uh, I'm only playing basketball. <laughs> yeah, that that that, that 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 would have sucked because he would have deprived us of seeing him in other sports, and and that's what should be right. And letting the media cover him like that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, you know, Graham Stevens is another one. Yeah, look at all yeah. these great three sport athletes. I mean, Ben Heaney was a great three sport athlete at Hutch High. I mean, we all know that he played football, yeah. but he was actually a very good basketball player and a very good baseball player. And you know, I even think about uh, you know the Patrick sisters that came through Central Christian. You know. Jamie Patrick was one of the greatest basketball players I ever covered. But what we don't, what a lot of people don't realize is she was actually statistically one of the greatest volleyball players in United States high school history. Her stats were like comparable to some of the greatest stats you'd ever see on the NFHS website. And it, I, I agree, Scott, you know, we're going to, I hate to see kids thinking, you know what, um, this football, summer football is too much of a, of a grind, I've got basketball to worry about. I'm just not going to do football anymore. I'm just going to focus on basketball. Or if Emily Hendrickson had only played basketball in high school, we would have never seen the phenomenal softball player right. that she was. And granted, she she's just playing basketball in college, and that's great. I mean, I know over that Sterling, if they could get her on that <laughs> field, they would move heaven and earth to do it. But she's committed to basketball, and, and, and she's a great girl. But um, – that's another great example. You, you wouldn't have ever gotten to see that. And, and I would venture to say Haven wouldn't have gotten to the level they had gotten to if she hadn't played. I would completely agree with that. And, you know, you look at someone like McGuire Estel, you know, she's obviously a top level softball player. But would Haven basketball had the success uh, that they had, especially, you know, making it to the semifinals when she was a freshman? Would, would they have had that kind of success if she had never played basketball? I think we know the answer is probably not. Well, um, uh, and again, we're not trying to um, do a whole hour here and bash on you know, the changing landscape of youth sports. It is what it is. There are a lot of positives, as we mentioned, for the kids. You know, you, you can get your college paid for. We just wanted to point out um, that there's a, there's a lot of pros. There's a lot of cons to this. I think you should, if you have a, a kid that is very blessed in a certain sport, you want to consider all of these things and certainly what the kid wants to do as well before venturing into whatever it be, travel baseball, club soccer, um, MAYB, just please take everything into consideration because there is everything is out there available for you um, to look into, but take everything into consideration before committing to it because it is a very big commitment. Well, and on top of that, Scott, I just want to point out that if any, any uh, coach pressures your kid into, into playing that sport exclusively to being a one sport athlete, go somewhere else. I, I think that's, if that's what they truly want to do, that's fine. But yeah, if, if a coach is really pushing that or, as you talked about demanding that they don't play any other sport or even that sport in high school and just play club. I, I think uh, search for a different option is what I would say. So, um, and I actually do have, I know I can let you go first as well, Brad. I do have a closing thought, which does kind of focus on um, youth sports and beyond. Okay. So uh, I guess my only thought for the day is that, um, 
I want to give a shout out to a friend of mine. His name is, uh, uh, or some friends of ours, uh, tragedy hit, uh, on July 16th when a 15 year old Newton girl named Kyler Gillespie, uh, drowned in Mm -hmm. a, uh, in, I've known the Gillespie family for eight years. Josie played with her sister, Kenzie, for a few years. I'm friends with Josh and, and Cree, the, the parents. And and uh, it, it, just, it just really rattled me going to the visitation on Saturday and the, the celebration of life afterwards. There's I mean, there well north of a, of a thousand people at both. And, folks, the, the thing that Josh told me that day, and, and this I'll never forget this, hug your kids. Spend time with your kids. He knows all too well that you, you, that you're not guaranteed anything else. And so, when you're watching your kids play youth sports, you know, don't 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 beat that person on the sideline. You know, yelling at the referees and screaming at your kid to do something else. Uh, life is too short for all that. So, in, enjoy the time you have with your kids, especially when they're on the athletic field. Because to me, it's been one of the most rewarding thing of being a parent is watching my kids compete. And uh, as my, as you know, as my, as my friend Josh knows all too well, uh, it's ne- it's never guaranteed. So, you know, uh, you know, rest easy, Kyler. You know, we all love you, we all miss you, and uh, you know, I know you'll be watching over all your family and friends and all that. So it was a terrible tragedy, but um, definitely uh, something that I think we can all take from it is you know, make sure you love your kids, hold your kids, hug your kids, and don't take them for granted. Absolutely. I, I, I did not know the young lady or family. I saw that um, several posts on Facebook and I, my heart broke for the family. That's just that's that's something you don't ever want to see as a parent is as a child go before you do. And that's yep. that that'll be tough. And we're, our prayers, thoughts with with that family, that community, uh, Newton, a very close knit community. And um, that's a tough one. But uh, my closing or final thought this week, um, I'm going to go to uh, golf, Brad, of all places. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much you watch golf or our listeners watch golf. Um, I, I like to watch it on Sunday afternoons. It's usually I usually take a nap for part of it, but I grew <laughs> up playing golf and enjoy watching it. And I don't know if a lot of people watched the, the 3M Open was the, the PGA event this last weekend up in Blaine, Minnesota. Boy, what a beautiful setting it was. The course was phenomenal. Great weather up there in Minnesota. And if you watch closely, Brad, when they when they went to the, I think it was the third page of the leaderboard, they had about six players or so listed on each page. A name popped up of Michael Gellerman. Um, <laughs> who do not know Michael Gellerman, um, he is from Sterling, Kansas. Um, and I, I ran the golf course there for 24 years. And this young man, I got the privilege of watching him grow up. I remember this little five or six year old kid had come out with his dad one day at the golf course. First time I saw him and met him with this beautiful little swing and knocks this ball right down the middle of the fairway. And I thought, my goodness, that kid's got a good swing. He keeps that up. He could do something. And just got to watch him grow up. Of course, um, by the time the junior golf tournaments and stuff rolled around, he was playing a lot more of the elite tournaments, but still got to watch him play and just watched him soar. He went on to Oklahoma uh, University, um, became an All-American there. He started off and played the um, – some a mini tour the first year, then went to Canada, played a year on the McKenzie tour, graduated up, um, got a win on the Corn Ferry tour early in the season last year, 
And now he has in 16 starts on the PGA Tour this season, he made his 13th cut on Sunday. And I, I don't know where his money earnings are now after as he tied for 16th, his best finish on the PGA Tour um, this season or in his career now. Um, but he was at $110,000 in earnings. And now with that tied for 16, it's going to put him somewhere hundred over $150,000. And it's just, it's just so rewarding to see, you know, a small town and he's, he's such, such, a, I call him a kid. I mean, he's in his <laughs> mid, but uh, such, such a good kid watching him grow up. I know his, his parents uh, um, were so proud of him and um, it was just great to see his name pop up there um, on the, the PGA leaderboard. I think when we saw him, we knew he had this potential and to, to see him just um, exploding and doing so well this year on the PGA tour. That was, that was just something special to see that name come up there on Sunday. Yeah, it's definitely uh, pretty cool to see someone from, uh, you know, small town Kansas doing that kind of stuff. And uh, obviously uh, we followed his career closely when I was at the Hutchinson news and, I can't say we're. I can't say I'm surprised, Scott. Uh, that's not to say that uh, I don't appreciate what he's done, but uh, knowing the kind of uh, worker that he is and how serious he takes golf, I can't say that I'm surprised. I don't think any of us that saw him um, grow up are are tremendously surprised, but we are very very excited to see um, um, where he goes from here. But again, uh, th- thirteen to sixteen cuts. That's it. He's ha- he's having quite a year, and and we'll see if he can get that full full card and everything and. Uh, I, I think we're going to continue to see him uh, dot some leaderboards on Sundays, and hopefully in, in the near future we'll get to see him maybe sneak into a major. And um, it'll be a lot of fun. I know the community and his parents are are really excited. Well, it's been a, a more of a unique uh, podcast for us this week. Enjoyed talking through youth sports. We'll get back. I know there's a lot going on and a lot evolving in the world of sports the last couple of weeks. And we'll, we'll tackle all of that um, on our podcast next week. But for this week's view from the press box, thank you for joining us for Brad Hallier. This is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.